0: Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply.
1: NerdWallet, finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with Location Telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
2: Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong.
0: In 20 years, I've never so much as noticed the police station. Never occurred to me that I even needed to know where it was. Uh, so, it's Joe, right? Yes. Uh, Zoe?
3: Hi, Zoe. Hi, nice
0: but now here I am, inside the place, surrounded by cinder block walls and pictures of legendary police officers. And across the table from me, there's a living legend, Officer Joe Ledoux. So I'm going to tell you what happened to me
3: Okay.
0: and why I'm here. So, um, beginning of last year, we started to get calls at 8 in the morning from Citigroup, big bank. And it was like, I was getting the kids out the door for breakfast and the phone would ring. And this happened not 10 times, not 20 times, not 30 times, but 50 times. I mean, it was just like harassment. And they said, I owed the money. And it was absolutely bizarre because I didn't, and never had any, we never had any business with Citigroup. I mean, no credit cards, no nothing. But they said we had like $15,000 of outstanding loans on a I just want to say that again so you hear it. Citigroup said I owed them $15,000. And so finally I said, look, quit calling us. You're just driving us crazy in the mornings. And for whatever reason, they just stopped calling. Okay. The next thing that happens is I get a note from American Express saying my credit score has collapsed because I have welched on a debt uh, to Citigroup. So American Express called me and says we're going to put a limit on your account because your FICO score has declined. And I called them and said, well, how's this happen? How do you know this? Oh, well, a a credit aggregator named Experian has sent us a report saying uh, you've got some bad debts. I didn't even know what Experian was or what it did. As it turns out, there are a bunch of companies that make their money by gathering up whatever any one bank or credit card company has to say about you and then spreading the word to the others. So that if one bank thinks you owe them money, all the others see you as a problem. Experian is one of those companies, and I'd become one of those problems. Someone claiming to be me opened a a credit card account with Citibank in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And he gave as his address a street in uh, Miami but it's a street that doesn't even exist. Credit limit was $15,000. Somehow he managed to borrow $16,406 and repay none of it.
3: $16,406.
0: When I called Experian to say, how come you have this on my credit report? They said, well, we can't do anything about it. Just Citigroup said you owe them this money. So I called Citigroup and Citigroup said they didn't know who I was. And had no record of my social security number. I mean, it was just a mess. I was, I was in, stuck in, on hold for hours, and they gave me no joy. I mean, no joy at all. Finally, Experian tells me that I need to file an identity theft complaint with the FTC. was it the Federal Trade Commission, which I did. And they said I had to go come to the police station and file a report for them to take seriously my claim that my identity had been stolen. So, to summarize myself just there, a big New York bank hands 15, 16 grand to someone pretending to be me, Michael Lewis. Then some credit agency broadcasts a total lie about my behavior, and now I need to drive down to my local police station and bother a local cop? So that's why I'm here. I want to file a police report uh, for identity theft, and I want to ask you a couple questions about it before I do it. The first is, How often do you all have people filing identity theft reports with the police?
3: Very frequently.
0: Oh, so it's not, this is not weird. It's
3: not completely uncommon, no. No.
0: But that isn't the question I most wanted an answer to. I'd been stewing on another question. For so long, it's almost hard to put it into words. I mean, just as a law enforcement officer, does it not strike you as strange that I've never had anything to do with either one of these parties, and they wrote me into this, and... And it's my problem all of a sudden. It seems to me that Citigroup should be filing some sort of complaint with the police, not me, and that I shouldn't have to deal with this at all. It's very odd that it's framed this way. The whole notion of identity theft, no one's, I'm still me. For the first time, Officer Ledoux is looking at me a little dubiously, like I'm crossing some line, like I'm going to start asking him for his opinions about animal rights or about the local Native American burial ground that somehow wound up under the parking lot of a fish restaurant. Cops don't control the rules of the game. They just enforce them. The very idea that I should have to spend a minute having to deal with this seems just a little odd. I mean, if if you take it out of the financial sector and you say, I managed to persuade Zoe uh, that I'm Audrey, and uh, I get her to lend me ten grand. Audrey's my producer on this episode, and Zoe is my associate producer. They're here at the station with me, recording, just standing there in their headphones, expressionless, dead-eyed. Zoe's so not going to have any ability to disrupt my life or get me involved. I mean, it's an odd thing that the financial system has now put this sort of strain on police resources, it seems to me. So let me put it as a question. If people are coming in and filing these reports,
3: is taking your time and all the rest. Has it ever struck you that it seemed a little crazy to have the police in the middle of this? To answer it, it's, it's interesting in the fact that it's a different type of victimization, right? I don't like uh, to think of myself as a victim, but if you want me to be one, well, I, I don't want victim. you to be, but
0: it turns out I have to be the victim, at least if I want him to file his report. If I'm not a victim, then I'm to blame for whatever a fake Michael Lewis has been doing at his fake address. Here's the funny thing I feel victimized not by whoever that guy dude was in Miami, but by Citigroup. Like they present themselves as someone who has been victimized by essentially my inability to prevent anybody from stealing my identity. But really, if they'd never done the dopey thing in the first place, we wouldn't even be here. And that's the thing that that kind of gets under my skin, is that the financial sector has figured out a way to shift the burden of this problem onto people who have nothing to do with the problem. Let me get you a case number. Great. Dispatch, 137. I've never had a case number.
3: Can you put me on the board and generate numbers for a 530.5, 1019?
0: You know what all those numbers mean?
3: Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, it's just like another language.
4: 127,
3: the case 6014660146. 10-4, thank you. I feel like I exist again. So, I'm going to give you a business card with the case number, and I'm also going to give you a victim of identity theft pamphlet.
0: I already said this, but I'm the real Michael Lewis, and this is Against the Rules, a show about the decline of the human referee in American life and what that's doing to our idea of fairness. Here are the two most dangerous words in the English language. Consumer finance. The phrase now gets tossed around as if it's a natural part of human existence, like it's been around forever. But the first national credit cards didn't exist until Bank of America created them in the late 1960s. And it wasn't until the mid-1970s that Citigroup figured a way around the usury laws. Laws that have existed since the first Babylonian dynasty that put limits on how much interest a lender could charge a borrower. In the mid-'70s, the Supreme Court ruled that the laws that applied to lenders were the state laws where the lender was based, as opposed to where the loan occurred. In a desperate move to revive its economy, South Dakota got rid of the usury laws in 1979, which is why the Citigroup credit card I never applied for was issued from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. The original Citigroup credit card agreement back in the 1970s ran a page and a half. The one I never signed was more than 30 pages of tiny print. And as you no doubt already know, it's a minefield of complicated fees and penalties. But it's not just credit cards now. It's all the Wall Street banks, the payday lenders, the subprime mortgage lenders, the car loan originators, the student loan services and the vast, shadowy network of companies supposedly keeping track of the creditworthiness of ordinary Americans. This is where trust in institutions has taken the biggest hit. When money people figured out how to inflict pain and suffering, even on middle-class white people, without any consequence for themselves. How do they do this? That's easy. Consumer finance has had an incredible gift for remaining unrefereed. And the absence of a ref is what's allowed them to screw up the lives of millions and millions of ordinary people.
5: Like super emotional today. So if I cry, (laughs) please excuse that. Um,
0: Meet Katie Highland of New Rochelle, New York, public school teacher, mother of two small children.
5: It's all all like related to this too, which is interesting.
0: The this to which she refers is consumer (laughs) finance, some old student loans. Student loans started flowering in the 1980s after the boom in credit cards and the effective death of usury laws. Just now, about 44 million Americans owe a total of $1.5 trillion in student debt. More than 4 million of those Americans, most of them young people, are already in default. Some large number of the rest are heading towards it. And if you think, ah, they're just a bunch of deadbeats, well, just hold that thought.
5: Do you want to introduce yourself?
0: That's Audrey, my producer.
5: Act
6: like Her a big girl. Is so Riley. your name. My name is Riley. And what's your name? <laughs> Jackson. What do you usually do when you come home? Um, just go on the couch. But if I feel very sleepy, I'll just fall asleep. <laughs> but. If we do Pozy, we really wake up so fast. <laughs> oh yeah, because we can't fall asleep until and and mommy can't start to work at night until like nine o'clock.
5: What does she do at night what what type of work?
6: Um she just goes on a computer and maybe like sends emails and and actually sends um what she does to work on her computer to school so her school can be running very good.
0: That's Jackson, Katie's son. Katie teaches reading and writing to eighth graders in the Bronx and works with kids who struggle in school. Years ago, Katie got a bachelor's degree in English and then a master's in secondary education.
5: So the loans I I took out since day one, I graduated high school in 2001 and I had to take loans out immediately. My mom raised three kids by herself, so we didn't have anything. So it was always understood that I was going to have student loans and I was going to have to pay them back. And so from day one, that's what I did. Do you remember if you could take yourself back to that time? Like how did you think it was going to go? Yeah. Like in the, like being there and then thinking about the future. Yeah. yeah. I just thought like, 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 these are all adults. They have my best interest at heart. And the people that are doing these things who are associated with colleges and financial institutions, like they're going to tell me the thing that I'm supposed to do. And then when it comes time to pay it back, I'm going to have a job and I'm going to have plenty of money and it's going to be easy. And, you know, it was just something like, oh, yeah, everyone's student loans. It's annoying, but it's doable sort of thing.
0: She doesn't recall anyone ever trying to explain to her how her loans worked. She just remembers the financial advisor at her college giving her some papers to sign, and that was that. In the end, to pay for college and grad school, she took out several loans totaling $77,000. The loans came from the U.S. Department of Education, but the government farmed out the management of its student loans to the private sector, the consumer finance industry. The company advising her is called Navient. When Katie has problems or questions, she needs to call Navient.
5: I realized that um, the amount of money that they expected me to pay every month wasn't going to be possible. That was when I first started, like, calling them and saying, Listen, how do I get my payments lower, what do I do, Um, you know, I'm a teacher, I only make such and such amount of money, and, you know, I I don't really know how you guys expect me to pay this back with what I'm making. And And every time I called, it was a forbearance or deferment, or, you know, oh, this is great, like, you don't have to make payments for this amount of time, and sort of kept guiding me in that direction. In
0: 2007, The United States Congress created the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program for people who wanted to go into public service so they could afford to do it. Police officers, firefighters, soldiers, teachers, people who did those sort of jobs for 10 years and made 120 student loan payments on time could walk away from the rest of what they'd borrowed. It was just the sort of thing that a company like Navient might alert borrowers to. But they didn't tell Katie. Katie heard about it on her own in 2014 from a fellow teacher
5: i kind of felt relief when i first found out about um this one particular program because i was like great like i'm a big believer of like the hard stuff will pass and so for me that's what this was it was like okay this is gonna suck like you're not gonna be able to go away you're not gonna be able to have birthday parties for your kids or do this or do that but in 10 years if you're in this plan like It'll be worth it at the end because it'll be gone, and then you can just, like, really put your time and your money into, you know, the things that you want to do for your family and your kids.
0: And so she called Naviant again. That's where the trouble really began. When she called the company that was paid to help her understand her situation, to ask them for help.
5: I was getting all the paperwork filled out for the public service loan forgiveness. And I remember, like, I have going back and forth, like, faxing, and they'd be like, oh, no, the date is wrong, you have to fill it out again. And I would fax it again. And, oh, no, this was in a different format, you have to fax it again.
0: It was the same way I felt when I was trying to get Experian or Citigroup or whoever to explain what they'd done to my credit. The hold music. The phony, thank you for your patience the deep mystery of the exact location of the person who finally comes on the other end of the line, the total inability of anyone to solve anything.
5: And they said that, I, you know, no one was eligible until 2017 because at that point it would have been 10 years from the when the program started.
0: By 2017, she'd have spent 10 years as a teacher and made 120 on-time payments. What remained of her loans would then be entirely forgiven.
5: And I said to my mom, I was like, this is going to be amazing. What a relief. Like, if this happens, like, I'll be able to to save and maybe one day buy a house or whatever. And I remember calling back in the end of 2016 to make sure that things were ready for the beginning of 2017 and them telling me that, no, you're not eligible, you were never eligible, um... And basically, if you want to become eligible, you have to consolidate your loans and you have to start from scratch, um, starting now at 10 years. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute.
0: Katie Hyland asked Naviant to go back and listen to phone records of all her previous calls, all those conversations about faxing and paperwork and waiting until
5: 2017. They said that they did. And, they, and then they called me back and said, we never heard any instances on the phone records of you asking anything about public service loan forgiveness. And I was like, well, that's an outright lie.
0: Oh, that familiar feeling. As listeners of this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a Smarter Travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject
1: to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before. Platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies the Cellular Vehicle to Everything network, T Mobile's 5G network, and 5G connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running can't forget people running and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business unconventional awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at T-Mobile.com slash unconventionalawards. That's T-Mobile.com slash unconventionalawards. See you there.
2: Terms and conditions apply.
0: If you want to track Katie Highland's misery to its source, you need to travel to Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, or at least call someone who knows the
4: place. It's the type of place that you grow up in and your whole family is there, and chances are you settle down and you stay there for the rest of your life.
0: Lynn Sobalski grew up in Wilkes-Barre.
4: For employment. um, It is an economically depressed area, and so employers like Navient, major employers are the area, are really important in terms of upholding the local economy.
0: Lynn's been in the student loan industry for 15 years. Until last year, she worked in the Navient Call Center in Wilkes-Barre, the place Katie Hyland called, for help, to take advantage of the program Congress had created for people like her. The program to make the student debt of public servants bearable. Your team is handling calls that are coming in from people who have student loans that they're dealing with. Correct. And so what were the pressures on you that that bothered you?
4: The biggest pressure that was on me was the seven-minute rule, and that was representatives were told to keep their phone calls to no more than seven minutes. Also within those requirements were that you validate the caller's identity, that you validate their contact information, that you read a script approving, you know, use of their their telephone and their text messaging, and so by the time you know you had to mention auto debit, you had to mention the company website, and all of this eats away at the 7 minutes <laughs> that you're given.
0: Yes, yeah, call running out the clock that right. in basketball it used to be known as the four corners offense right, right. before they put it before they put in the shot clock. <laughs> so 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 what what is what did, and if you win over 7 minutes what would happen? Here I should say for the record that a Navient representative wrote to us. The company said that, quote, while Navient, like other customer service oriented companies, measures call times, we do not set any time limits for calls. Lynn Cebulski got a different message at her call
4: center. The reps were put in a position where they couldn't give the borrowers the information that really needed to be given. And so what some of the representatives started doing were looking for ways to, you know, get their calls under. Some of the representatives would pretend that the call had disconnected. They would, you know, accidentally on purpose hang up on a borrower because that borrower needed to talk about an income-based repayment option and it's a long application and the borrower has too many questions and somebody's looking at their watch going, hey, I got to keep this under seven minutes or, uh, you know, the kids aren't going to have dinner.
0: Lynn Cebulski was never on the phone with Katie Highland, at least not that we know of. But she knows pretty well what happened to her. Navient was meant to be advising people with student loans on behalf of the Department of Education. But the Department of Education pays Navient a fee for every account they manage. The less time they spend on each account, the less it costs them to manage that account. The seven-minute rule is there just to maximize profit
4: per customer. We could see throughout the day how far we were out of standard is what it would be called. Um, So, for example, I had a display on my computer that would show me at any given moment if I was, like, red, yellow, or green in terms of, you know, how my numbers were holding up. And then if you kept your phone calls to seven minutes or under, you got a bonus, and that could be a few hundred dollars in an economically depressed area. That's the difference between, you know, paying your groceries or your car payment or not.
0: You got that right. The customer service reps for student loans have their own consumer financial problems, which they can only solve if they ignore yours.
4: You know, there's this thing called empathy. You know, if you're calling me because you're in distress because your finances are a mess and you need help and you're talking to somebody who is dependent on making this call a seven-minute thing because their finances are not that great and they're not in a position, um, you know, to get something better, then... You know, it feels doubly deceptive because you know that you're kind of in the same shoes.
0: Here's the reality of consumer finance. A town of people highly dependent on a student loan servicing firm is being put to work finding ways to screw the equally desperate people who've taken out the loans to do things like make it extremely difficult for a teacher to opt into the program Congress had created specifically to reward people like her. But if Navient allowed Katie Hyland to enter the program, her account would be taken away from Navient, and Navient would lose revenue. Katie Hyland wasn't Navient's client. She was its crop. The CEO of Navient is named Jack Ramondi. In 2017, he was paid $6.5 million. We asked to interview him, or some spokesperson at Navient, but they didn't want to talk. But let's leave that to one side for a moment. Let's consider this business of student loan servicing, the behavior it encourages, the spirit in which it operates. Navient isn't some little pissant fly-by-night company. It's listed on the NASDAQ Stock Exchange, has a market cap of nearly $3 billion. It services $300 billion in student loans. It's the heart of consumer finance.
4: So a manager came over to me while I was on the phone discussing an income-based repayment plan with a borrower, and they said, don't give anybody time frames. Try to avoid discussing that. But if anybody asks you outright, tell them it's two weeks.
0: you It obviously bothered you, and you're an empathetic individual. Was there any Were there any people you were working with who sort of embraced the Navient way and were like seeing if they could break speed records with their calls? Yes. There's always that person. <laughs> I, there, I, that's why I assumed. And it was there like, I imagine like a yeah, young guy saying, I'm I, under three I literally
4: sat next to that guy. And, you know, the problem was, you know, the the lower the, his calls became. He was getting training opportunities. He was being promoted. So basically the worst performers in terms of getting the borrowers the information they need, those are the people who then move up the ladder.
0: He's a superstar, man. He's destined for the CEO suite. I
4: was being told to like talk to him and try and pick up some tips. <laughs> <laughs>
0: did, you, did you ever try to listen to what he was doing to figure out how on earth he was doing that?
4: Oh, yeah. The, the, the easiest way to get somebody off the phone is to give them a temporary solution and send them paperwork to look at later. So, um, you know, so one of the issues um, around forbearance is that, you know, interest continues to collect on balances. And it's not always a good financial decision for borrowers to put their loans in. But it's one of the only options that can be processed right over the phone. That's exactly what
0: Navient did with Katie Highland. They encouraged her to accept forbearance for years. The word sounds so reassuring, almost like forgiveness. Actually, all it did was compound the amount she owed. For a loan that was originally $77,000, she'd wind up repaying more than $120,000. And in the bargain, they totally screwed up her ability to get out from under her loan altogether.
5: Like I said, I can usually put in the the blood, sweat, and the tears, if I know the thing is temporary and that it's leading to something that is going to be better, um, that was when it became, like, really um, glaringly real. And then sort of panicking because there was nothing I could do.
0: It's amazing how much pain you can create inside of seven minutes. I don't think people have any real idea how dangerous it would be to shop for ordinary consumer goods. Mm If there weren't a referee between you and the people who sell you things. But there is a referee, at least in the United States. It's called the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Check out its website. You'll find hundreds of products that it's ordered pulled off the shelves before they kill or maim consumers. Just recently, they forced the recall of 32,000 high chairs prone to detaching from their bases and launching the babies inside. They also saved you from wireless speakers that catch fire, flashlights that explode, shower doors that fall in on you when you're buck naked and blinded by soap, and Stairmasters whose steps accelerate incredibly quickly, all by themselves. As I speak, the commission has just removed from the market 1,500 cracker-barrel old country store decorative pineapples. Laceration risk. You probably didn't know that. But now that you do, it's highly unlikely that you think, Why is the government acting as this referee to protect me from being impaled by a fruit? More likely, you're thinking, thank God they recalled the decorative pineapples before I bought mine. When you take out a student loan or any kind of loan, you're buying a product, a curious sort of product. This product is far more likely to kill you than any exploding flashlight. If you doubt that, just spend some time in the many student loan chat rooms devoted to suicide. Most consumer financial products are more complicated than high chairs or decorative pineapples, much more likely to have fatal flaws that no one but an expert can spot. Plus, they come with a servicer you know nothing about, the human beings who will handle your loan until you pay it off. That guy who gets promoted for getting you off the phone inside of seven minutes without helping you? He's part of the product you bought and tied yourself to for years, and he too presents a laceration risk. So why wouldn't there be a referee for all this? A neutral party whose job it is to spot dangerous financial products and pull them from the market before they do more harm. Oh wait, that's not an original thought. Someone's already had it.
7: I'm Elizabeth Warren. I am the senior senator from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts.
0: Before she was Elizabeth Warren, she was Professor Elizabeth Warren at Harvard, specializing in bankruptcy law and why middle-class people go broke.
7: And so it's the early 2000s, and I'm trying to figure out how do you fix this problem? And you're going to laugh. I'm thinking about toasters. You can't buy a toaster anywhere in America that has a one-in-five chance of bursting into flames and burning down your house. We have a Consumer Product Safety Commission that just says, nope, sorry, you don't get to put those things on the market.
0: Actually, toasters do burst into flames. Back in 2011, Hamilton Beach was forced to recall 300,000 of its classic chrome two slicer, because breakfast can kill you.
7: We do not require people to have engineering degrees to buy toasters. They don't have to look at wiring diagrams and know what weight wiring you used and whether it has appropriate insulation. We don't ask any of those questions. We just say, you know, there's like some minimum safety here. Somebody buys a toaster. It better be able to toast and it can't burst into flames. And I thought about it in terms of, wait a minute, why is that so on toasters and it's not so on mortgages?
0: And so at what moment do you become so alive to these problems that all of a sudden the world's getting very complicated for the financial consumer at his expense? Uh, it, that You become so alive to this that you're moved to write about it.
7: So you've got to watch. What's happening is more lenders now are starting to move into this space of, and here's the key, building a profit model based on tricking people, on cheating people. So that becomes the business model.
0: The business model is teaser rates with subprime mortgages, double-cycle billing with credit cards, interest rates that leap from 30 to 200% on payday loans if you're late with a single payment. Again, if you're an American adult, or maybe even a child, you know what I'm talking about. Elizabeth Warren wanted to create a government agency to referee all that. When you first float this idea, Mm -hmm. how is it greeted?
7: (laughs) Okay, so when I first float this, I mean, come on. This is the early 2000s, and I'm talking about a new government agency. Oh, just what everybody's looking for, right?
0: Does anybody take an interest in it, a a healthy, sort of constructive interest in it, or people think you're a crackpot?
7: (laughs) Well, I hope nobody thought I was a crackpot. I look far too serious for that. And I, you know, I wear glasses. I mean, come on, I could be a crackpot.
0: Elizabeth Warren then does what every crackpot professor does. She writes an obscure article. It's published the summer of 2007 in the journal Democracy. Title, Unsafe at Any Rate. You propose creating this new umpire. Everybody kind of thinks, oh, that'll never happen. And then all of a sudden, the world shapes itself in a way that it sees, oh, my God, we need this umpire.
7: Right. The world gets on board then.
0: Gets on board for a short trip anyway. The 2008 financial crisis has its roots in consumer finance. The entire nation got so pissed off at Wall Street that Wall Street lost control of the political process. In 2010, Congress created the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They designed the agency so that Congress wouldn't have direct control of its budget, because everyone suspected that the finance industry might one day try to kill the new referee. In 2013, Elizabeth Warren became a United States Senator. But that wasn't enough to stop what eventually happened. As listeners of this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert teams of nerds have the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet, Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply.
1: Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency, Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients unconventional awards. That's T-Mobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. At bed
2: 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar, whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
0: When you hear the phrase government agency, what do you think? What picture forms in your mind? Probably of some nondescript concrete building with small windows and gray men and women walking in just after nine and walking out just before five. Doing as little as possible, and that unwillingly. Vast sums of money have been spent to keep that picture in your mind. A lot of it by companies engaged in consumer finance. My
8: name is Seth Frotman. I used to work at
0: the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Seth Fraughtman got to know the consumer finance industrial complex in the early 2000s when he went to work for a former Marine who had been elected to Congress. He was instantly inundated with stories of American soldiers being deceived and abused by financial firms. There
8: were literally... Um, service members who were flying back from Iraq and Afghanistan because their banks were illegally foreclosing on their houses while they were deployed. And they would spend like every waking moment when they weren't downrange with their troops battling with Wells Fargo or Bank of America or one of these other companies. And literally while they were getting shot at In Iraq and Afghanistan, their spouses and kids were at home dealing with kind of foreclosure notices and banks. It turns out that the banks weren't just being odious. They were breaking the law. So there's actually a statute called the Service Member Civil Relief Act, which has been in place in some form or another, I believe, since like the Civil War. And it has like a host of different protections. But one of those essentially dramatically limited the way in which a service member who was on active duty could get their house foreclosed on.
0: The banks just hoped the soldiers didn't know about the statute and made it hard for them to take advantage of it. Sound familiar? There was really nowhere these soldiers could turn for help, except to individual members of Congress. Until the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau gets started, Seth Frottman joins up right away, specifically to help members of the military. In its first five years, the Bureau handed back nearly $12 billion to people who had been ripped off by consumer finance companies. It created a new disincentive for companies that made money by ripping people off, because it sued the asses off those companies. A couple of years in, Seth moved from working with veterans to working with students. Were you shocked uh, when you collided with the student loan situation, just how bad it was?
8: Um, Yes, Literally one of the hardest parts about the job was convincing people it was actually as bad as it is without seeming like a crazy person with their hair on fire all the time, right? Which I'm probably not good at.
0: One of the things that lit his hair on fire was the behavior of student loan servicers, the Naviance of the world. Seth's student loan unit looked into a bunch of complaints. It found that loan servicers were preventing school teachers, cops, and firefighters from getting into the loan forgiveness program, the one Congress had created for them back in 2007. Seth found out about the seven minute rule. They have essentially
8: every incentive under the book to ensure that the people on their phones are not doing as good of a job as possible, but getting off the phone as quick as possible.
0: Seth went to his boss, Richard Cordray who was head of the Bureau. Together, they decided to file a massive lawsuit against Navian, which, of course, alarmed the entire consumer finance industry. I mean, if this new agency was actually going to stop consumers from being ripped off, where would it leave the companies that made money from it? So then what happens? Then,
8: essentially, um, with a flip of a switch, um, uh, Director Cordray leaves the Bureau. Um, the Bureau is given an acting director... Who also has a full time job as the head of the Office of Management and Budget, right? This is so, Mick,
0: Mick Mulvaney. Mick Mulvaney. The structure of the CFPB is 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 just fundamentally flawed. Uh, on one hand, people call it independent, but the real bottom line is it's simply unaccountable, and that's wrong. That's Mick Mulvaney talking to Fox News' Lou Dobbs at the end of November two thousand and seventeen.
8: We were slated to put out. Our annual report documenting how college debit cards had a particular risk for consumers, despite protections that should be in place. Um, essentially, when the new leadership of the bureau came in, um, we were told that um, we would put that report in in a drawer. That was no longer our job.
0: Did you did Did you have the option of just ignoring that? No.
8: What would happen if you did? Mm. I assume I would end up where I am here, just a lot earlier in the process. <laughs> in the process. <laughs>
0: Where Seth is, as you're probably guessing, is out of a job. He left Donald Trump's CFPB. Maybe I shouldn't ask him to speculate about what's going on now with his former employer, but I can't help myself. What's going through the mind of Mick Mulvaney when he says you'd put, he asked you to put that report in the drawer? So I don't know. I don't want to give any legitimacy
8: to the argument because it doesn't fucking matter, right? Yeah. It, like, the only thing that matters is there's. Someone on a college campus right now who has a debit card that a bank has negotiated with his school, he thought it gave that some legitimacy. He took out that card and he now has hundreds of dollars of overdraft fees. And he's pretty much screwed for a remainder of his life because of the work that we weren't allowed to do. That was not an attempt to like make me or us seem grandiose. That's just, that's just how it works. So,
0: all right, we are good to go. All right. So uh, I'm standing in front of a building that used to have a big sign on it. And the sign said Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. One of the first things Mick Mulvaney did as acting head of the CFPB was to change the acronym to BCFP. So to put the word bureau first, instead of consumer. Kind of 1970s brutalist architecture. It looks like it was designed to maximize the number of ledges people would jump off after they had a financial reversal. Um, Anyway, there used to be a sign here until just a couple of weeks ago, and it was very proudly saying what it was. Well, two weeks ago, they took down the sign. I'm staring right here at a, what is a, I mean, it's just a cinder block wall. Banks found out about the name change from CFPB to BCFP. Just that could cost them up to $300 million to update all their databases and forms. The agency itself was spending millions to change its signage and branding, all just to make the name sound less inviting to the consumers it's meant to serve.
7: This is the federal building. The streets? You know. If I were
0: to speak into my iPhone and record that, that would be against the, the law.
6: Well, um... I don't know that. I can't say that exactly.
7: I don't think this is against the law. I think we're allowed to sit here and do whatever we want to do out here or out
6: here. Well, um, you know, um, I don't. I just you. You can go in the street, but you know, you, I don't think you can do that here.
0: The new director of the CFPB, or whatever you call it, finally gave up trying to rebrand the place. Still. This is the way a referee dies. Not with a bang, but a distraction. This massive explosion in the public square gets muffled. A million tragedies silently unfold in the lives of ordinary people who thought they were the customers and found out they were just the crop.
5: I have so here my original loan amount was 77,540. I have 46561 left to pay off. Um, I've paid back $53,890. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of money.
0: Katie Hyland's still waiting. She also joined other teachers in a lawsuit against Navian. There was a U.S. government audit of loan services like Navian. It found that 30,000 qualified people, teachers, firefighters, soldiers, had applied to the loan forgiveness program. Only 96 got their loans forgiven. 96. The student loan servicers found tricks to deny all the rest. And that doesn't even count the greater number of people, like Katie Highland, who never got to submit an application in the first place.
5: Like, literally, I don't know if you want to put this, but, like, my teeth, like, from grinding and anxiety, like, I've had one, two, three, four, five teeth had to come out. Uh, which is what I'm dealing with, like, currently at the moment, which is, like, making me very upset because I can't smile anymore and stuff. Um, And dental insurance doesn't cover implants. Um, And so, like, I have lost, like, all these teeth. And I'm 35. And it's, it's, like, crazy, but it's, like, the stress is constant.
0: If a toaster had blown up and maimed a mother of two, you'd say, God, that's awful. Get that toaster off the market and get her some compensation. But a consumer finance company steals the happiness from her life, and we're all half inclined to think, oh, it's her problem. She borrowed the money, dug her own grave. Why is that?
5: I don't see any pay off, and it just keeps getting harder and harder. And that's soul crushing. And it's it's hard also with like little kids to um be happy and everything's okay and you know like and, you know, to encourage them to do things and, and follow their dreams. And I, my mom got mad at me the other day because my daughter, who you met, she said, I want to be a teacher. And I was like, no, you don't. You never, ever want to be a teacher. And my mom was like, Katie, she's four. pretty much where I am. Well, I won't make you look at these anymore.
6: It might be actually kind of painful for her because all of this counts with a bill and... Getting something changed to another thing that's the same, <laughs> but changing to it. I love you. <laughs> it it feel, well. It does feel kind of painful, right, mommy? Yeah.
5: A lot of the papers, yeah. There, it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of and
6: a lot of pain. Yeah. For for yeah. doing it. Mhm. Yeah. So why don't we actually why don't we move on?
5: No, <laughs> I'm It's a great, and that's pretty much days. what i did is just yep. move on you're very thoughtful oh, i got
6: it well it is very good to be thoughtful for everybody but yeah. the person who's the most best person on earth is this lady right here
5: <laughs> jackson i'm so in love with you i can't even stand <laughs> it
0: so much of life is just dumb luck consumer finance companies got lucky If the student loan servicing industry had somehow been invented in the early 19th century, in the late 19th century, or even the mid-20th, some ref would have probably been put in place. But right now, refs are hard to create. And so the head of Navient makes $6 million a year, while Katie Hyland's teeth fall out one by one. I've never had a consumer loan. I've always paid my Amex bill on time and always paid cash for everything else, which is to say I've never been at the mercy of the consumer finance industry.
3: The next aspect is to go back and resolve the issue that's on your credit report, which is more I time... I to go to all three credit bureaus. Yes. You don't, they so don't share...
0: And yet, big. there I was, not quite able to get away from it, because even when you think you're free and clear of consumer finance, it can pull you into its fucked up little world in which they create problems and then make them your problems. You and Officer Joe Ledoux, Berkeley Police. Right. What
3: we want you to focus on now, certainly going forward, is some of the crime prevention techniques, which is this right here has got your social security number on it. So when you're done with it, it should be shredded, not just tossed in the trash. Because when we have people going through the trash and they see this and they go, oh, who's going through my trash? Yeah, people do it. Do they? Absolutely. I've never seen any. My garbage cans
0: outside my house. I stare at it all the time. But There's what, no way if it's going. It blows
3: my out car. of the trash truck, and somebody's walking down the street, and they go, "Oh, here we go. We got Michael and Lewis, and we got your social security number." And sorry to have taken so much of your time. Ah, this is great.
0: I gather up the mess of papers, the letters from Amex saying my credit rating is shot, the credit reports from Experian. The FTC pamphlet on all the things I need to do to fix this problem that a Wall Street bank created all by itself. So I'm going to give you that if you want to make copies. Yep, I'll make copies. A single envelope falls out of the pile. So this is, I brought this in and I haven't opened it. It's from Citigroup. Uh, Citigroup to whom I apparently uh, still owe $16,000 in their minds. And I didn't, I hadn't opened it because, yeah, no, it's an, it's an offer for a credit card. Yep,
3: right. you're right. great, you're great. Right, right, all so... Right.
0: Do you want to sit a group? credit card? I think I'm good. All I right. appreciate it. lend to anybody. All right. I'm Michael Lewis. Thanks again for listening to Against the Rules. Against the Rules is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. The show is produced by Audrey Dilling and Catherine Girardeau, with research assistance from Zoe Oliver-Gray and Beth Johnson. Our editor is Julia Barton. Mia Lo Bell is our executive producer. Our theme was composed by Nick Bertel, with additional scoring by Seth Samuel, mastering by Jason Gambrell. Our show was recorded at Northgate Studios in Berkeley by Topher Ruth. Special thanks to our founders, Jacob Weisberg and Malcolm Gladwell. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip.
1: unconventional awards. See you there.